Hello, world. Welcome to the Speed Strength Show. I'm Tommy. And I'm Braden. And if you could do something now to get the effect later, what would that thing be? If I could do something now to get the effect later, what would it be? Yeah. So I, uh, I'll give you an example. Like you could, um, like say you have a bunch of meetings and you want to work out and you obviously like normally you would work out shower meetings or work out shower eat meetings but you don't have time to do all that yeah so instead you shower now work out eat and then you use the showering clean to then be clean later after your workout oh so i can i can manipulate time and space it's kind of like i mean it's not time travel i'm not saying it's time travel because it's it's different than that no but i get what you're saying like you could have a yeah if you worked out and then showered but if you did it the other way around, you would negate the effect of the shower because now you've worked out, you got sweaty, you're dirty. Yeah. And so exactly. you've, so it's a way of, yeah, could you extend something or but I'm just in, thinking about in terms of manipulating time. It is, it is kind of like that in, in, in this situation though, like you, it's not like you stay clean through your workout. It's like you shower, you're still dirty. You work out, you're dirty, but in a different way. And then now you're getting the benefits of showering later. You know, you know what I mean? Oh, then 100% I'm picking like eating everything I need to as the first thing I do in the day. Yeah. And then you just get then, to use that amount of energy yeah, and fuel and fullness throughout the day. Yeah. Cause I feel like I, like I eat five or six times a day. So I think yeah. that would give me the most bang for buck in terms of saving time yeah. where if I could just spend an hour in the morning making and eating all this food mm-hmm. and that was good for the day. Because then I yeah. wouldn't be hungry in theory later on because I could just use that elsewhere. Yeah, and you and and you don't get you wouldn't get super full either. Like you wouldn't eat like six meals worth of food and get full like you ate six meals. You'd use that fullness later as well. I can stockpile it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I would do. Because I feel like that would be the most it's obviously not possible, but that would be the most efficient way to like food prep. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's what I would pick because I think that would give me the most time later on in the day Mm -hmm. yeah eating the i thought of this when i was when i needed to shower i guess like um that kind of depends like here it depends like when because my mom's on nights versus days so sometimes it's good to shower sometimes it's not good to shower depending on when she's sleeping and stuff um so sometimes like i always like to work out in the mornings um but then sometimes you can't shower right away after that sometimes it's got to be later in the day so that's kind of how I thought of this thing Um, or like, I guess that's when I had this, the idea for this question. Um, The original idea, I guess, if anybody listening knows who Brandon Sanderson is, um, he's a writer. And in one of his book series is there's a magic system. That's kind of the same thing. Series is he has multiple series is CRI CRI's series. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Stupid English language. It is. It is. Um, but in that one, you can like store your speed or your strength or whatever. So you spend a number of hours or days or whatever being really weak to then use that strength later or to use that speed later or age or all these different things, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I I still think I'd stand by the food. 
food. Yeah. Cause I think it would, it would free up the most time for me during the day. Yeah. Cause instead of going, Oh, I have to make food and I try to find a way to multitask while I'm making food. Yeah. Cause I think making food is not a waste of time, mm-hmm. but could I be listening to something? Could I be, you know, doing some other things that are productive while I'm waiting for like rice to cook or something like that. So I, I think it would save me the most time during the day. Yeah. Well, and I think it's not that hard to like, if you're, you know, preparing six meals and eating six meals, it's not that hard to cook multiple different things at the same time, you know, so you can save time that way as well. I actually didn't think about food when I, when I thought really? of the question, I didn't think about food. I thought of showering, obviously that's how it came up. And then the other one that I thought of was sleep. Um, well, cause as soon as I sort of like understood what you were asking, I thought I was like, Oh, he's asking about this because he thought of food. That was my immediate, I was like, cause he also eats like five or six times a day. So I was like, right yeah, that's probably the first plate. Oh, not anymore. No, not right. I used to not right now. Right now I'm, uh, I'm only eating three right now. Oh, um, so that's yeah. okay. That would explain it. I'm not against multiple meals, like that many meals a day. Um, when I was working with a nutrition guy, he was talking about how like each organ has like a processing time. Um, and so if you eat too often, then you can kind of like that organ can get backed up, I guess. And then it's not functioning efficiently. So like that was when that, like I was eating three or four meals a day that started. Um, and I've just kind of kept with that. I don't know how true that is. I haven't researched it myself. I'm just hungry all the time. So I want to keep eating. Well, I'm hungry right now. And you should. So. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it was just, it was showering and then it was sleep for me were the, the two things. Um, I don't know. The How would you do I, the sleep though? You'd sleep so that you can use your wakefulness, I guess. Cause I'm just wondering how the sleep would save time. Cause eight hours of sleeping is. It wouldn't really save time. It would just be like, you're, you're reallocating time. So instead of using the time to sleep, like if, if I'm tired and I want to have a nap during the day, mm-hmm. uh, I wouldn't, I would just use some sleep that I had before. I oh, would save I some of saying. that energy, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I guess the first place my mind was just going was how can I save time on other things? Yeah. Which, Which is why I, mean, I thought, sense too. why, if I have to make six meals in the day at six different times, cause I'm continually going to get hungry. Mm-hmm. If I could just jam pack it into one, one time, oh, one ultra feast. Yeah. Then I would save, save time down the, down the road. So that's yeah. why I, that, that's what I was trying to wrap my brain around with the, the sleep part of it, it was like, Oh, but yeah. eight hours of sleep is still eight hours of. Yeah. Well, sleep. and that, that, I see what you're saying. You're borrowing yeah. time from somewhere else. Yeah. And that, and that makes sense too. Um, because like if you save time, then you have, it doesn't matter what you're, you're borrowing time from, like you have more time to do everything than if you're literally just not using as much time to do stuff. So that makes sense. And saving time is Um, worth it. Yeah. You watch Um, the office. Yes. So Kevin. Okay. Many little time make big time. Oh yeah. I like that one. Yeah. So why, that's the why first. I say why I say lot word when few word do trick. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's every time I hear about saving time. That's the first place I go to is nice. is Kevin going, yeah. you know, my mechanic doesn't speak English. Yeah. So I say so much time. I just saying car, no go. He fix. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you caught it, but my, uh, when I mentioned the ultra feast, 
that was a little office reference to Kevin. Yeah, with as well. um, Pam and it's Pam and Kevin, right? Yeah, it was just them too. Yeah, when, yeah. when Pam was pregnant. Oh yeah, the first time. Yeah, and then yeah, they're they, in the break got, room. Yeah, because they get hungry at the same times. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because Kevin's always hungry too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah we have so much in common with Kevin. I'm basically Kevin. Look at that. <laughs> I don't want to do uh, my Kevin impersonation on air. No, that's fine. I don't want to be judged. I think it's yeah. all right, but. Well, I can. I'll let you know afterwards if you want, and then, and then I'll give you the green light to do it on air. And then in the future, I can refer to many little time, make yeah. big time. Yeah. Um, the actor actually is like a decent golfer. Is he? Uh, was his name Kevin Baumgartner? Or Baumgartner? Something like that. I didn't know uh, that. I can't remember. Yeah, I was there was a YouTuber I was watching for a while that was a golfer and he was in like a foursome with, with Kevin. And like his swing looks ugly, but the result is decent. Or is his name Brian? Oh, it is Brian. Brian, Brian yeah. Baumgartner. Okay, that's it. it. Brian. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had to quickly correct myself because you know what office fans are like. I was like, oh man, if I get <laughs> yeah. that wrong, they're just going to yeah, be like a knows. flock of... yeah. Everyone knows that honestly, like it does bother me a little bit when people like, not necessarily about the office, but like TV in general, if someone's quoting something and they get it a little bit wrong and they correct them, like I, I don't, I don't. Cause it like, I know that it doesn't matter, but it bothers me. Oh, it bo- oh I was going to say it doesn't bother me. Like if someone's a word off, like whatever. Yeah. No, to me, it's like. Uh, the way they said it in the show is funnier. You need to get that oh, you're word one right. Of, well, I mean, it's never going to be as funny. The people in the show are professionals. So no, I know we're I just know. stealing their material, but I know. also you're one of those people. I don't correct people though. I just okay. internally, well, I suffer. I'm going to start to make incorrect quotes now. No, around you don't do I that. Know, and just intentionally make it wrong by one word. And then I know inside, <sighs> oh, I just want to correct them so bad. Oh man. Well, I don't know. We don't watch all the same shows. So that'll be all right. But we do both watch The Office. We figured that out. So Yeah. Well, yeah. All right. Now I'm just going to have to pre-plan all of these, uh, all of these like opening lines that they can oh. never be linked back to The Office. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just have like charts to map the conversation. <laughs> yeah. I won't do that to you. Maybe. I did say I was going to open up one of the episodes in French and I still haven't done that yet. Yeah, I'm on edge waiting for it. Actually, I forgot about that. See, so. and then I brought it up. This is all part of the game. <laughs> You're in my head. We'll wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we will wait and see. And um, that's kind of like what we're talking about today. Waiting and seeing? Kind of, yeah. Because you do stuff, and then you and then you wait a while. Well, I guess you, you keep doing the stuff. Yeah. But you don't know if the stuff's good. Correct. You, you don't know if it's working. You have to wait to see if it's working. That's right. That's exactly right. And then you test it, which I guess, I don't know, whenever this office thing happens or the French thing happens, then I'll have known that it was good the whole time or whatever. I don't know. Testing is what we're going to talk about today, which is, it is the same thing where you do some stuff and then you try it. And then later you see if it was good by testing. Ideally, you see if it was good. Maybe you don't. Well, you're hoping for positive results. You're Whatever hoping for it is positive you're, results. You're, you're hoping for that, but yeah. not everything works. Well, so, and the, the other thing I was going to say is positive results doesn't always mean that what you did was good. 
Well, yeah, we'll get, oh, don't get me started on that. We'll get into that. We'll get <laughs> into that. I didn't even mean to rally up, but it's happened. It's hard. I, you know how I feel about testing. Hmm. So it's very difficult to, it wasn't going to be difficult to get me, to get me going. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, do you test? Do you do testing a lot for track and, and stuff or like for sport athletes? our sport is a test kind of like your sport is a test every time they compete. Well, yeah, but like for powerlifting, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different. It's more infrequent. It's, it's more infrequent for us. Um, But you have mock meets, correct? Yeah, we do have mock meets. Yeah. Um, So like it's, you test outside of competitions for sure. Um, But there's also. And they're so relatable, right? Like, maybe it's not exactly the same as the competition environment, but sprinting down a track and spikes in a competition or not in a competition looks really similar and squatting looks really similar compared to some of the more um, what's the word I'm looking for where the, the gap is larger between the two, right? Like how does a vertical jump test with the vertex? translate to you know performance on the volleyball court right right or the basketball court like they can look and feel so different there's no ball involved there's a a number of things you could you could go to so that's what i meant by like the sport is kind of a test yes so i agree with that 100 percent. i think um like we talked about in the in the speed plateaus episode like you need to be going fast all of the time, right? So you um, you guys are training at pretty much competition intensity, relatively speaking, year-round, I think. Yeah, there's some level of whether it's from a coordination standpoint or an intensity standpoint. There's yeah. it, it looks like sprinting a lot of the times. Yeah. Right? So there, it's can, not like at the start of the year you're going, oh, they're not sprinting at all. Yeah. To prepare for sprinting later on. No, they're, they're still sprinting, but maybe it's in wickets. Maybe it's up a hill. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's with a stick. So it still looks and feels really similar is where running a beep test doesn't look like the 90 minutes you play in rugby. No. Right. Like it's so far removed. So that's kind of where we're like, well, do we test of like, yeah, the sport, the sport is our test. Yeah. And so I, I agree hundred percent. I agree with that. And but I guess like the, for us, for powerlifters anyway, what will happen um, is like, we we're not training at competition intensity year round, you know, like it's, it's maybe like a couple months of that, of like close to that anyway. And then it's down and then it's back up after like a four month down period or hypothetically. Right. Yeah. Um, so there is an element of, like testing outside of competition. Whereas I can see if you have a hundred meter sprinter who like in various blocks of their off season program, they were running 90 meter sprints. And then the next block they ran 110 meter sprints, both at max intensity. Like those are super, super close. And even though you didn't test your competition distance, like you're really confident. And that would be kind of like, I don't know, doing like a, a maxed 
like a, a two rep max or a three rep max. And that's what I'm saying. Like the, the level of predictability is much stronger. Yeah. And with you that can than see, other forms of testing that you see. Yeah. And you can still see for us, like, even if you're doing sevens or fives or whatever, even if it's at like, you know, 70% or 80% or whatever, and it's not maximal. Um, but you can see the weight going up and the difficulty staying the same. Like progress is happening. How much of it's going to translate to one rep max? We don't know. Um, we don't know of any, honestly. Sometimes that happens where you kind of build up the base, but the pyramid's not, you didn't peak the pyramid that well. Yeah. Um, so there is an element of like, you know, progress is happening, but you still need to test. Like, you know, what you're doing is working, but you don't know how well, or you don't know if it's going to affect competition until you actually test, you know? And ultimately the test is competition mm-hmm. for the, the most part, right? At least with our sports. And then, I yeah. mean, well, that's the thing too, is sometimes the test is not uh, indicative of like the true test is competition because that's like, that's it. And doing it, doing the exact same thing in practice, it's close. Like the, the actual, um, the physical performance is exactly the same, mm-hmm. but the emotional investment is different, which is going to change the physical performance. So. And I mean that to me, the first thing I think of when, <clears throat> Sure. I think we've all tested before as coaches or athletes or whatever. It's a, it's a common thing, but what actually matters in the testing, that's kind of the first question that I ask myself is that, is that thing that you're measuring, does it matter? And how I determine if it matters is that information going to influence anything that I do. Mm. So am I taking this test, whatever it happens to be, and then I get a score performance metric, whatever, and now does that inform what I'm doing later on? Does that change going, oh, I need more of this or less of that? Because if you're just testing for the sake of testing to get numbers, then it's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And you're collecting information and wasting time and energy, wasting a session on getting information that you're never going to end up using. So to me, that's the first thing I ask myself if we need to test, does it matter? And how I determine if it matters or not is does that actually influence the decision-making in terms of what I'm programming, how I'm coaching them, what we're going to do moving forward. Cause if it doesn't, then I feel like it doesn't have a place in, in my training plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. Like I, I think uh, definitely, I mean, good point there for sure. Like you're, you're using to test, you're using a session or presumably you're using a session. So and you probably have to lead up to that session. I mean, yeah, to get the, the optimal result for sure. Um, so yeah, you need to, if you are testing, that session better be worth it to like those numbers better be important to your point. Um, and like, I think you could, you can use it from a standpoint of, I guess either way it's influencing future decisions um, because you, you maybe want to see where they're at, um, like comparing a couple of different tests to say, oh, okay, they're really good here. They're not as good here. So let's focus on that stuff on this next couple of blocks. And then, and then we'll do these tests again and see where we're at. Um, but at least you're using it in that regard. Exactly. Or I mean, I've can, been a part of 
testing batteries where you end up getting results on something. It's like, well, whatever. Yeah. You still do the same program. <laughs> and then we probably should have never tested those things because we weren't using that information. Yeah, exactly. So, um, the other thing you could use testing for is to like retrospectively, we focused on these couple of aspects in the last few blocks. We'll test things that we think measure those aspects. They went up. Cool. What we did worked. And now we know we can do something like that to get this kind of result, you know, the next time we need it, um, which is also beneficial. Um, I do think, and this happens a lot with powerlifting, that the, the reason for testing in a lot of athletic situations, um, I don't know, I don't have necessarily a lot of firsthand experience with this, but this is my, my guess, my opinion anyway, um, is not necessarily to influence decisions like we did these, we were trying to do these things and then these tests show that we did those things. So good job. Um, it's more so just to like, these are results. And like, if you have an athlete that, you know, their parents want them to get stronger and then you can show that the squat numbers went up and then the parent thinks that you did good for their child. So you're a good coach. Here's another thousand dollars for them to be around for another five months or whatever. Um, hypothetically, I don't know. And same kind of thing in, it's a little bit less extreme in powerlifting. Um, I think people just get antsy with like, they're not really sure where they're at. Um, me as a coach, I'm comfortable and I know like I can see the numbers trending upwards. We're making progress. I don't know how much progress doesn't really matter. We're making it. So, but people, just get antsy or they just get excited and they want to test. They want to see how much progress has been made, you know? Yeah. And so the, the to me, there's other ways to, to figure out that progress. And we can talk a little bit about that like later on, but as we're talking about testing or maybe what I'll call more traditional testing, right. Where there's mm -hmm. like these pre-planned points throughout the year that you want to test that we test before the season we test in the middle of the season, we test at the end of the season, and then at some point in the off season. And like one of the biggest beefs I have with traditional testing is that it's not necessarily reflective of what the training has, has done. And it's not necessarily reflective of where the overall trend of the athlete is. It's only reflective of what is in front of you that day at that specific point in time. So maybe you caught somebody on a good day and they test way better. And then you think, man, what we did, that was a perfect program. Look how much better they got. Mm -hmm. Maybe you caught somebody on a bad day. And now you think, oh, well, what we did was a waste of time. And so to me, that's one of the, that's one of the biggest challenges I have with, you know, the traditional form of testing where it happens like a, a big focus test day three or four times a year is that it's not necessarily reflective of what is happening in terms of the process. It's reflective in terms of that moment in time, but it's not reflective on the process. And so I'm not going to use that information for anything moving forward, because if I did, it would be a knee jerk reaction to what I saw in front of me that one day. 
what if we tested a week later? Maybe it would be better. Maybe it would be worse. Like it, you don't know necessarily. You have too many question marks if you're, you have 365 days of the year and you only test three or four times. Mm-hmm. That yeah. what goes on in between is completely, completely lost. So that's the, that's kind of the big, the big problem I have with it. Why I don't really like testing. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with you for sure. I do think there is merit to that kind of a, a thing. Um, it depends on your resources, I think. Um, but I, I do think there is merit to like having some kind of a, like a, you can have like little tests or like, we're going to get into monitoring. I know you want to bring that one up. Yeah. Cause that would um, be my preferred way to do it. Cause I'm yeah. getting more frequent, smaller snapshots of what's happening. Yeah. So we, we will get into that, but um, there's, it depends on the sport. It depends on the, the training that you're doing, whether or not that's feasible um, in a sport like track or powerlifting. It's extremely feasible in my experience anyway. Um, um, but I do think, so you could call those like, yeah, monitoring or like mini tests or whatever. Um, but I do think there's merit in sports like track and field or um, like weightlifting or powerlifting or that kind of thing where you have, this is your event day and this is the only day you get for, you know, like the next two weeks or the next two months, or maybe this is the Olympics. Like you have today and that's the, you worked four years for this, you know? Um, I do think there's benefit into having that like psychological practice for the athlete's perspective. Um, and also as a coach, your, your practice in preparing someone for one day and you can try a couple of different methods to peak somebody and see like this worked better. So we're going to go more in this direction for the next test. And then you find what you think works the best for the actual day. Yeah. And I would agree. Like I, I, I get exactly what you're saying. And I think, again, if I go back to the, like the beginning, well, are you testing what matters? Well, in that case, you are testing what matters because it you are completely replicating the competition and isn't going to influence what you're doing moving forward. Yeah. Probably because maybe you find, oh, this better prepares us for competition. This, like this made you feel better. This made you feel worse. And it was reflected in the number that you, mm-hmm. you lifted. So then it, it, it makes sense. I'm thinking more with like team sports. Like it's harder for you know, strength testing to translate to basketball, volleyball, hockey, Mm. all these types of things. And so you get these snapshots throughout the year from these big testing batteries that you do. Mm. And it's like, well, what did that really tell us? Like, how's that going to relate to hockey or basketball or whatever team sport that they're potentially playing or whatever sport that isn't easy to replicate and test in a training environment, weightlifting and powerlifting. It's, much more feasible to do that. And it probably makes sense too, because you, in those sports or most individual sports, you have these, you you have to play around the intensity so much that you're going to have these natural highs and lows. And it might be worth it to test a sprint or test a lift or something as you're 
peaking and ramping up some of the intensity because you can see how they're reacting to it. Yeah. I mean, like that's typically how I do it, honestly. And in like, obviously like right now there's no meets going on. So people, it's nice to be able to test every now and then. So if I see like, Oh yeah, like your squats taking off, let's, let's test that. We're, we'll finish this block. We'll do a peak block and let's see where we're at. Um, and that to me, makes sense. And it, it helps everyone feel good about what's going on too. Um, but it, it, yeah, to your point. And then the other thing I was going to say, actually, I've heard of people or we've had conversations, I think about instead of like, this is your test day where you do all the battery tests, just you're squatting today. It feels really good. All right, let's just keep going. Let's go heavy today. Cause it feels good. So, yeah. And today might be the best day to test to see where the ceiling actually is. And, yeah. and to me, the, one of the differences I think that you brought up with weightlifting and powerlifting as an example, is I have written down on my sheet here under where I've wrote some notes on the traditional testing is that the pressure or the clutch situations should come from sport, which with powerlifting and weightlifting, you could do that in a testing environment because you can make it exactly the same. Mm -hmm. The pressure or that feeling to be clutch to hit a game winning free throw in basketball or make a penalty shot, like score a penalty shot in hockey is very different than the pressure you would feel to try to like lift a heavy weight mm -hmm. or perform well on a T test or something like that. Like the tasks are so different mm -hmm. that I agree with you. I think there's benefit in, like you said, the psychological and that's where I think it works for sports like powerlifting, weightlifting, track and field. We could set up two or three people next to each other on the track and have mm -hmm. them race and have commands and they'd feel the pressure of what's it like to run beside somebody. We can almost entirely replicate that. Mm -hmm. That's not easy to do in the weight room with hockey. Yeah. If you have 20,000 fans in the stands and it's just you and the goalie in a penalty shootout, that the, the pressure and the, the feeling that you get from that is different than doing a vertical jump test. Yeah. And so that to me is where, like, I've heard some people say testing is good because it challenges the athletes psychologically and it, they, they're in a pressure situation. They got to be clutch and okay. In certain scenarios, you can create that. You brought up some great examples, other sports, maybe not so much. Mm -hmm. And then, so I don't know if the benefit is necessarily there from that. I know some people would disagree with me, but that's, I, I think the pressure and that psychological effect should come from the sport itself. And if you can replicate the sport in the weight room, then go for it because it's going to work. Mm. But if you can't, then you're better off to try to create pressure and clutch situations in the practice environment for the sport because that's mm -hmm. probably going to prepare them better for that rather than testing day. Yeah, and I, I mean, I can go either way on that. Um, like, I don't know. I think you can, you can create pressure situations like that in the weight room. I don't know if tech testing is the, I don't know. I haven't thought about it from that perspective necessarily. Um, like think about the B test. How many coaches have you heard talk about, Oh, I want to test them like mentally, psychologically with the beep test. Oh yeah. That, like, I don't know. About you that. hear stuff like, no, do that in practice. Like you're not creating the same yeah. kind of like, mental or psychological like grind yeah with that because yeah. the sport's so different 
it is, it is different. Um, I have heard of coaches putting some stuff in off season programs, like it more like a conditioning thing, not like, like the beep test. It's not a test, but it's a part of their program where like this is in, it's going to have benefits. Like, especially if it's more of a cardio, it's going to be like, it's going to have um, like anaerobic lactic benefits, that kind of thing. Um, so it, it is actually going to help the person. And that's also part of why it's in the program. But the main reason that they said it was in the program was it's in because it's hard and I want them to be able to do things that are hard and just challenge themselves that way. Again, like this isn't testing, um, but I can see some benefit in creating those kinds of situations in the weight room. Um, and Bobby Stroop also mentioned that with some of his athletes, this was partly athletes that didn't handle strength work that well. Um, so if you're doing multiple sets of heavy strength work, they were like, they were being affected like a week later and it's just, okay, we can't sacrifice training that much to get to do this strength work. So, um, so what he had some athletes do is like, and I don't know if it's just strength work. It, it could be a bunch of different stuff that he does it with, but um, like you have one opportunity, like you're doing this exercise one time and maybe it's, maybe it's five reps, maybe it's one rep, but you get one and that's it. You don't get practice. You just, you get to do it one time. And the athletes that could handle those clutch situations in games could handle the clutch situations in the weight room and the athletes that crumbled, crumbled in the weight room. Um, and it just helped people dial in so much more. Cause it's like, I mean, there's going to be athletes that just want to get the work done, but there's going to be athletes where like, okay, like coach, that one wasn't very good. I want to, I want to try again, you know, and maybe it happens again. They want to try again. And so you programmed one and now they want to do three or whatever. And um, in a game, you only get one shot. Exactly. And that was his argument in the game. You get one. So it helps like practice that focus. And then with that, it helped them like they progress a lot faster because each time they do it it's so much more intent behind it um which yeah so i i think you can um i don't know if testing is the way to do it to your point and that's what i was going to say i don't know if testing because what you're describing is a more calculated and consistent yeah it is it is it's it's a part of the training plan so um but the other thing i was going to say um those clutch situations in games the execution comes down to more, more than just the mental fortitude for one, more than just the physical fortitude, which is what the tests are for is like your strength, your speed, your agility, all that sort of stuff. Um, Like there's the creativity and the skill aspect and like your preparation and all those different things come into play. There's way more factors in a game slash sporting scenario than there isn't an isolated test. Exactly. Um, And so, I mean, maybe people will argue if this is a benefit or not. Um, but I was hearing somebody speak about this actually when I had the idea that we should record an episode about testing. Um, I was listening to this, this person speak. And one of the main issues they took with it is if you, especially if you have the same testing battery that you do all the time, um, the athletes, like they're going to know what the tests are. So they're going to learn how to perform well on those tests. They're going to learn how to cheat the tests, you know, like, and you can only cheat a test so much, but if you have the same testing battery, like how much of their, if they've done it, like, you know, 
20 times over the course of, maybe they've been working with you for 10 years and they've done these tests, you know, 20, 30 times, how much of their progress is related to training versus how much is related to them creating a better strategy for the test next time. Yeah. The, the practice effect of that. Yeah. So, and, and that just is going to happen. Like if you're testing more often, that's going to happen even more. And it's know? a practice effect for something that doesn't matter. Exactly. Right? Like if you're testing weightlifting or powerlifting and they find something that's helping them, well, guess what? They can use that in competition when it really matters mm-hmm. because you can so closely create, obviously if, if, if it's within the rules, mm-hmm. um, right. But if they're finding ways to get this practice effect from the test and the test is identical to the competition, then it benefits you. Mm-hmm. But like you said, if I'm finding a better way to run the five ten five doesn't mean when I'm on the soccer field that I've now have, I have a better strategy for changing direction and and moving around defenders. Yeah. I was, I I remember like watching the NFL combine or like the lead up to the NFL combine, like a few years ago. Don't get me started on the combine. That 225 bench test. Oh yeah. There's a bunch of stuff that's wrong with it. But um, somebody was talking about the three cone drill, I think specifically and how they found out if they started with the opposite foot, or whatever, like they could, you, you take actually one full less step in the, in the three cone so that all of their athletes, like their times were so much better, but they, they did not get more agile. That 100% is true. They did not get like, I mean, they probably did as well, but if you well, they start, they, they choreographed that test better than other people. Yeah, they weren't exactly. actually necessarily more agile or exactly. change direction better. Exactly. So that's like, that's just an example there. Like you, you set up with a different stance. And so your, your time is now a 10th of a second better that, yeah, you cheated the test. You didn't get, you didn't get become a better athlete. Yeah. You're not running routes better covering receivers or able to cut on a dime out of the backfield. Like that's not that one simple change changes the choreography of the test. Yeah. Not your ability to perform on the field. Exactly. So I mean, you could, you could maybe consider like doing testing that way. You're also encouraging the creativity, which is good for sport, but it's, it's so far removed. So yeah. Anyway. I mean, it makes sense to do it because you're the athletes need to test. Like there's going to be scenarios where you're forced to deal with testing Hmm. as a coach, whether it's from a, a governing body that wants to see all the athletes perform, whatever, and you're, you're, you're going to have to prepare the athletes at some point for certain tests, yep. right? Like, I don't think it's wrong. You're going to have to figure out how to, exactly. Well, exactly. You're going to have to figure out. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to figure out how to cheat them as well as a coach to pr- best prepare the athletes for these tests. You got to like, you got to figure yep. out how to cheat the test too. I have n- not even necessarily cheating the test, but if you find a better way to do it, like this example with the L drill in the yep. NFL combine and in the CFL yep. by switching the stance leg, if that saves two tenths of a second, well, now I just help my athlete perform better in a test that all the teams drafting think is important for being a good yeah. football player. Yeah. And maybe that moves somebody from the fourth round to the second round because they see the times are better and they go, wow, what a spectacular athlete. And now Man. they ignore what they saw in game film. They matter. Those tests matter a lot. Yeah. Like, and so will rise and fall all the time because of those tests. Yeah. So as a coach, you're going to be sometimes forced to deal with testing whether you like it or not and you'd be doing your athletes a disservice by not preparing them 
for tests. But to me, if you can find a way around getting the test done and wasting your time on that stuff, then by all means, like if the NFL said, we're going to do away with the NFL combine and we're just going to interview people and look at game film. I'd be like, okay, I'm totally cool with that. Cause now we don't have to waste time preparing for these specific tests. We can just prepare you for the sport, but I get that that will never happen. And so as a strength coach, as a performance coach, you, you need to have a handle on how you would prepare the athletes for these tests. And so, like I said, as much as I think testing is a waste of time, that's if I'm in complete control of what's happening. Mm-hmm. I think there's better ways that we can track improvement, but there's no doubt. And I've dealt with it before where you're working with athletes that are going to get tested and you, you have to help them find the best way possible to, to do well in those tests. Unfortunately, it's just a reality. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, good to, good to keep it in mind. Um, but yeah. And then like the other big thing is just like, are you actually measuring what you think you're measuring or are you trying to measure the right thing? Like you said at the beginning where it, it, it should be informing training decisions. So like, does it, does it matter? Yes or no. Um, but like, like I said, with the, um, in the strength plateau episode, if you're testing strength, strength is skill specific. So like you'll see, um, NFL offensive linemen, or maybe not NFL, but like offensive linemen at various levels that are really good at squatting, very, very strong squatters, but terrible split squatters, terrible on one leg. So if you test them in a back squat, they're going to look great. If you test them on a split squat, they're going to look terrible. And you're going to think, wow, this team's really weak. You know, so like the, the way you test matters and it needs to be, I guess, somewhat consistent, but then you also run into like people cheating the test or the learning effect maybe, you know, so it's, it's a tricky thing. Well, even the metric you're taking away. So for example, when I did that Bondarchuk experiment where I was on the same Mm -hmm. sprint session over and over and over again for like four straight months. It was, it was like an entire academic term. Yeah. I had four different call them tests or measurements that I was taking on each day. Yeah. So maybe that's a good place to start to just talk about like the monitoring monitoring versus testing first, I guess. Okay. So to me, I like monitoring better than testing because testing is that small snapshot in time. Mm-hmm. But monitoring is tracking something more frequently. Could be every training day, could be once a week, could be yeah. whatever. But it gives you, to me, it gives you a more reflective picture. Mm-hmm. And then because like you a, a trend, it gives you a trend, right? Yeah. So if you looked at something like a, like a stock over the course of a year, right, you mm-hmm. see the overall trend. Mm-hmm. That is helpful information. Mm-hmm. You see how the tr- the stock is behaving in the market based on other things. But if I only gave you where the stock was one day of the 365 days a year, you'd have no idea if that's a good stock or a bad stock. Mm-hmm. And so to me, what the monitoring does is give you a, a clearer picture of, of what's, what's happening. And also because you have to do it on a more frequent basis, you tend to measure less things. Yes. So then you decide what's really more important. Because if you're thinking about testing 10 things, but now you're going to do something on a weekly or daily basis, you go, okay, actually, it's just these one or two things that are the most important. And I find mm-hmm. you end up eliminating a lot of the things that 
don't necessarily matter. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's why I like monitoring. And then you can still show if you were working for an employer, for example, who said, well, are you making the athlete stronger? Are you making them faster? Instead of just showing them, well, here's what we did in September. Here's where they were in December. You go, here's the overall trend. And look how they progressed upwards over the, the course of the time. So you can still show, you're more likely to show an improvement because you can see the trend rather than yeah. what if the athletes perform crappy on that day? And now you're sitting there going, oh, I can't show that I've done good work with them. Yeah. I with mean, the yeah, trends, you're going to be able to do that. Yeah. Or with more data points, you're going to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's, there's been times with my athletes where um, like through their training, their, like their five rep max went up, their seven rep max went up, um, their general working set weight, like everything went up. Um, but they had a bad comp day because, you know, they weren't feeling that good that day or we didn't peak well or, you know, whatever. And so according to like test to test, they got worse, but I'm like all the numbers I have in training say they got better, you know? So it's, it definitely, the trend is more meaning, especially for sport athletes, 100%, especially for sport athletes, it matters so much more. And well, I won't, I'll get into it after, cause I'll go back to the, the point. So I was monitoring more so with this bond or right. experiment with the sprint right. rather than testing, you're calling them tests because you're, but you're, I was collecting more frequent data points. But the big thing that mattered to me was movement velocity. Mm -hmm. That to me was the most important thing because, well, I was taking a sprint time and it's all about how fast can you move. So that was one of the metrics I was measuring was the flying sprint time because mm -hmm. that mattered. But then in the weight room, the three things I was doing with the split squat, the trap bar jump and the vertical jump was... I was actually, I had the push band and I was measuring the movement velocity of those movements. So I didn't care how high it gave me a number on how high the vert was, but I didn't care about that. I wanted the takeoff speed because mm -hmm. the velocity was more important. Sure. I had other metrics with the trap bar, but what I was concerned about takeoff velocity, the split squat, I was concerned with how fast the bar was moving on the reps. Mm. And so that's an example of where I was taking smaller snapshots. And even though I was doing call it four different things, it was all relating back to one thing that mattered. And to me, that was the movement of the bar velocity, which was the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And so the point I was making with that, that you were discussing before was most people think, Oh, vertical jump test. How high can you jump? Well, I was using a vertical jump test to measure my takeoff velocity. So you can get some different metrics out of the same, same test. And that's another way that we can potentially monitor things a little bit better and then go, okay, what are we actually looking at? And can you, ex can you extract the right information out of what it is that you're monitor monitoring or testing? Mm -hmm. So that was the point I was going to make was that you can get multiple things out of what you're doing and you have to decide what's the most important thing to extract from it. Yeah, hundred percent. And like, that's another thing that I guess it depends on your, on your resources, you know, like if you don't have that technology, you're not going to be able to do all that stuff. So people can, uh, if you jump higher, you can guess that probably you took off from the ground faster. Mm -hmm. If you split squat more weight that looks fast, then you can presume that lighter weights would also be fast, that kind of thing. Um, 
And so that you're, you're limited in, in some aspect that way. I think as a coach, you also kind of need to trust your eyes a little bit sometimes. If you oh, don't absolutely. have all the technology, you can just like, it looks better. It looks smoother. It looks faster. It looks, I don't know, confident or whatever. Um, so yeah, it, there is an element of, of that as well, where some, some things you just won't be able to measure and that's fine. Um, you can probably also get more creative with some stuff than you think. Um, but I do, I like that. I like the idea behind measuring the movement velocity specifically in all these different, um, in all these different tests, monitoring, whatever tests, um, because that's kind of like in thinking about this episode, I was like, how do we, like, what do we actually care about and how do we actually test that? Because like I said, squatting versus split squatting, even though you have like standards that maybe are like this split squat equals that squat kind of thing, people are going to be all over the spectrum on each of them. It's um, a skill and they exactly. develop that skill differently. Exactly. And same kind of like people you could, you could measure like a 30 meter sprint versus a 200 meter sprint. And you have like this equals that, but people are going to be all over that spectrum, you know? Um, so, and you can do that with any test. Like some people are better at broad jumping than vertical jumping. Are you doing a counter movement versus, you know, a running approach versus a squat jump? Like there's so many different, like, and people are everywhere. Right. So it, what do you actually care about and how do you actually measure that? And I think the closest you can get to the, like the pure athletic skill away from whatever the movement is, you know? So if you're measuring strength, maybe it's not about the squat number. Maybe it's more about how much force is this muscle group capable of producing? Maybe in an isometric, maybe in a concentric, maybe in an eccentric action, you know, um, or like the movement velocity, I think is very, very close to that kind of idea, you know? Yeah. And like I said, I think that's where I, I like the approach of monitoring because if you were following more the traditional testing protocols, you, you just end up having a test for everything as where if you're going to monitor some things, you, you start to have that type of thinking process that you just shared there. And you start to think, okay, this is probably the most important thing I should be looking at. So let me look at this more important thing more frequently. And you can almost look at it. So for me, I wasn't setting aside time. That was just, I was measuring those things during the training sessions. Mm -hmm. And so I still have, you're not changing the training plan that you're doing at all. You're just acquiring more information out of the training session. And it's more information that actually matters. And I was using those metrics to determine how long do I stay on this ridiculous experiment that I was doing before I had to change up what I was doing because the trend started to go downwards. So like I said, I just, I I like the monitoring approach better personally. And that's another huge benefit to monitoring is you like, you can have a real time, like this is working. We're going to keep doing this. Yeah. You don't get knee jerk reactions to stuff. Well, yeah. And, and like, I, I've spoken before about with my athletes, like not everyone's on the same block length. Some people, like most people do four, but some people are on three, some are on six or seven. Um, and that's because for the first few blocks, I'm, I mean, I monitor them all the time, but yeah. the first few blocks, I'm like, okay, progress is going up until here. And then it's done. Cool. We'll do blocks that are roughly that length of time, you know, and 
but they're all individuals. Imagine if you had a hockey team of 25 people that are all on the same schedule. Now you don't have the option to put them on because you're like, Oh, we've got to test on the same day. Well, but if you monitor, you don't have to do that. You can start to make these exactly more educated changes, I would say. And, and to your point, like it doesn't need to be like a whole different thing. Like you can, if you have, I mean, it's, it depends on, you know, the equipment you have and, and sort of things. But if like, if vertical jumps are a part of your program, then, okay. Instead of you doing your vertical jump over there for, for right now, come do one vertical jump over here for a second and you're on a force plate or you're touching a wall where there's jump mat or or whatever. Yeah. There's so many ways you could do it. Yeah. And even it's just tracking the load. Like you don't even have to do one rep max. Like you were talking about, Hey, you feel good. You feel good today. Let's load up and go. Yeah. And then you can go back and look at someone's tracking of strength numbers over the course of two or three months. Mm -hmm. And you look, they were, this is the weight they were moving two or three months ago. And then look, we had a few times where you were really able to drive up the weight. You're getting stronger, mm-hmm. but we didn't have to set aside a specific day of testing to see if you happen to get stronger. We let you take advantage of the days that you were feeling good. Mm-hmm. So in the scenario where, cause you'll hear a lot of the justification behind testing being like you mentioned, well, I need to show progress. And I think that the monitoring still allows you to show progress. It so should. if you have to prove to a department or a coach or whoever that the athletes are getting better, you can still do monitoring or more frequent testing mm-hmm. and get the justification behind the athletes are getting faster. They're getting stronger. They're improving in their physical attributes. Mm-hmm. You can show the trends or you just pick points. That's a little more biased. I think if you just pull certain points from all of it, I think you're better off to show it mm-hmm. as a whole, but yeah you still have that option on the table. Mm-hmm. So if your job depends on testing results, improving, you could do, you could use this method and still show that the athletes are improving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's probably more pressure on you because you actually have to do a good job. I mean, I'm yeah. Just flip the really. coin on a testing day and hope, ah, I hope they're feeling good today. And yeah. Oh, I'm a genius. They tested yeah. well. Well, and it's good because it's, it's a better reflection of, it's a better reflection of their abilities and a better reflection of your abilities as well. So exactly. Um, was there, was there one more thing that you wanted to, to get to, or did you, did you hit it? I can't remember. Cause there was one thing that you said you'd, you'd get it to later. Oh, I think you were just, I think you had me fired up on something. You know how I get with testing. Okay. There was yeah. something where I was about to go on a tangent and I was like, no, 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 just, just. Just don't say anything. Okay. One thing I was going to say that's interesting with the monitoring, and it kind of relates to the the knee-jerk reaction or are you using the information correctly, is you get to see the tr- – and we've talked about this before, but the trend of the adaptation. So like you said, what do people respond well to? What do people not respond well to? And there was a really interesting paper. Uh, I think I actually shared it on Instagram at one point, but it was – uh, some testing results for resisted sled running. And what they did was they put the athletes on it. These were well-trained sprint athletes from France and they put them on a 10 week resistance resisted sprinting program. And then they tested them afterwards on their, I think it was their 30 meter time, but they tested once a week for five weeks after the block. And well, lo and behold, different athletes showed 
improvement in their sprint time at different times. Mm. So, and again, one of the big takeaways that just for me was like, yeah, what if the traditional method, we did the resisted sprinting and now we test. Well, none of them got better in the first week. So then you sit Mm. there and go, it doesn't work. But then in week two, week three, week four, the athletes started to show an improvement Mm-hmm. in their, in their sprint time. So that was to me just a really tangible thing that I took away from when I read that paper that was like, okay, people respond at different rates. The monitoring shows that mm-hmm. as where if you didn't do the monitoring, you'd sit there and go, wow, no one improved. I'm not using resisted sprinting ever again. Mm-hmm. It's obviously extreme, but some people may react to it that way. They go, well, it didn't work. I'm not using this again. I need to show results. But then you're Mm -hmm. testing two or three weeks later and you go, oh, there was a delayed effect. Maybe they needed more time to recover or maybe they just weren't feeling good that week and they were feeling better the next week. And, but now with that more frequent collection of the information, they showed that almost everybody who took part in the training program improved. Well, and that's at different times. And that's another great like reason to, to do it more in that way is like, A, you can then see maybe which exercises work better for people. Like you can, if you're using um, like weighted sprints to improve the acceleration, if that's what you're going after. Um, and maybe it worked okay, but not great, or it worked well, but required a lot of recovery time. Then maybe the next block you try hill sprints and that worked a little bit better or it worked the same, but required less recovery time. Then you're like, okay, maybe if I want to do this, then I'll just do that instead. Cause it seems, you know, to weigh out better. Um, or, you know, the other thing too is maybe you don't know that weighted sprints are going to have more recovery time. Um, but through monitoring, you can say, okay, well, we did weighted sprints on Monday and then on Tuesday, everyone looks sluggish or on Wednesday, everyone looks sluggish. So then that's going to affect the volume. It's going to affect what you program for the next couple of days, or maybe you just like get rid of that entirely because it's not worth it right now. You and it, go, it goes back to you're using that information now. Yeah. That's, and right. that's why to me it's testing. Does what you're testing matter? And are you going to use it? Yeah. And that's a great example of like, yeah, then you've taken more frequent information and you've decided to use it and it's actually going to influence like what you're doing. So yeah, yeah, that was the only, I had that point written there just cause that was a, again, like it was a take home for me when I was reading that. This was like six yeah. months ago. I read it. Okay. Um, but it was just a good paper to show kind of confirm what I already thought. So I guess yeah. there's a level of confirmation bias there, but you know, I'm not a big fan of testing. I'd rather use the monitoring or the more frequent process. Oh, is when right? I read that, I'm just like, yeah. Okay. Like, I'm yeah. glad they're putting this out there. Cause that's, I think that's good information for people mm. to see. Yeah. Um, the only other thing that I wanted to mention this, this came up in um, the same, the same podcast, actually. Um, one of the positives, I, I mean, it's the same for monitoring or testing. It depends what you're measuring really is, is all that it is. Um, but uh he was of the mind that it's nice to have something and not use it than to need it and not have it. Um, so having these 
if you have a testing battery or you have, you know, measurements that you take every week that you don't necessarily use for future decisions, it's nice to have them sometimes. Um, and the example he gave was maybe someone has a serious injury. Maybe someone tears their ACL and they're working their way back. Um, and it's nice for you to have numbers like this is how far I used to broad jump or how far I used to triple broad jump, or this is what your squat numbers were like. And then you can say, okay, now you're basically back and look. where you were. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you can, you have like margins to work towards and you can say like, now you're like fully recovered. You're back. Yeah. Like I was using the push bands for my yeah. sprint experiment there. So it was giving me like Watts, uh, force outputs, movement velocities, all this stuff. You can go back and look in the, in the system. It's spitting out five or six different metrics. I was only choosing to pull the one and graph it on my like chart that I was using for it, but all that stuff was there. Mm-hmm. So like you said, if you're using a device that gives you like a force plate or a push band or something like that, where you do something and then it gives you 10 pieces of information and you're only choosing to use the one, but that info is still stored somewhere. Yeah. Or like you said, you could go back to, to using it, for example, where mm-hmm. maybe, yeah, later on you need it. But to me, that's still convenient because you're using that one thing to gather yeah. all that info as opposed to, oh, we need to do 15 tests to get these 15 different pieces of information. Well, and that's, and that's right. Like if you're, if it's, if it becomes cumbersome, to do extra tests that you're not necessarily going to use or isn't influencing your decision making, then it's not worth. Because I mean, you're gonna you're gonna ha- you're gonna track stuff, so you're gonna know roughly where they were strength wise and roughly like how far they were jumping or whatever. So you have even if you don't have the more specific stuff, you, like you have numbers. Yeah, you have a general picture, even if the details aren't filled in. You know, it's that's fine. But I like that point because maybe if someone's thinking about buying a device for testing purposes by a device that gives you more information. You don't necessarily have to use it, but at least it's available. And it wasn't made available because you had to spend more time and effort. It was just made available because that device picks up more metrics mm-hmm. based on what you're doing. So, yeah. Well, and, and I think that's nice too, cause you can, maybe there's not like, I think if you're measuring and testing, you have an idea like this influences this kind of a thing. Like this measurement reflects this, part of sport and I want that to be better. So I'm going to do that. Um, but if you have all this extra data, you might discover correlations that you didn't know were there before. And so retrospectively, you can say like, Oh, athletes that are good at this are also good at this kind of a thing, or, you know, athletes that had this sort of general pattern, um, tended to do well when we did this kind of an exercise or this kind of a focus of a block or, you know, whatever that kind of stuff. Like that's how discoveries get made. It's just like, you just have stuff around that you see a trend in observation. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's all that I have. I think that was good. Yeah. I mean, it's always fun to talk. I didn't go off on any terrible tangents. No, but I I could fill an hour of the episode just ranting about testing, but we didn't do that. Everyone knows your opinions now. I'm sure. Not a big fan of testing, but that's no. okay. We kept it together for today. We kept it together. Yeah, or I right. kept it together. Yeah. Not that you, you didn't were... keep it together, but there was no concern that you were not going to keep it together. Yeah, not as much. That's right. 
like nice. I said, there were a few points where I was, I was like, no, no, no. We'll backtrack. Stay on topic. Don't rant. We almost, we almost went off about the NFL combine, which. Oh, don't do like that. We, don't do that at the end of the episode. I'm not going to. Up, don't. I'm, I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear that. We, I feel like we could do an entire episode just on that. Oh, um, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I have to be in a good um, mood for it. Yeah. What I was going to say is you are a big fan of music. Oh, and no. music will put you in a good mood. See, I've had that the flip the the switch flipped so fast there. You were angry about the combine, and now you're pumped to talk about music. <laughs> well done, well done. <laughs> so, what were you listening to this week? Ghost BC. Okay, they're the poppiest metal band of all time. That sounds really cool. Like the, I don't know how else to describe them besides like pop metal. They. Yeah. I can imagine that the the lyrics and the like the themes are very like dark and metal, but like it sounds just very poppy and light, or at least that's where they went with their last album. But there there's always been this element of like fun and energy mm. in their music, and it's sort of metal, and they look really metal, but they're not super metal but they're good so i consider them to be like pop metal i don't even know if that's a thing but it has to be man there's so many genres yeah it's it's good stuff though they're they're really catchy and i feel like really hardcore people would not want to admit that they listen to them or that they're metal but Hmm. they have some good stuff and they are yeah they're I feel like you could play it for a lot of audiences and people would be like, Oh, this is like upbeat and kind of fun. Mm. And just be like, but don't listen to the lyric. Mm. Don't sing along with it. Just, just groove along to it. What was, uh, sorry, what was the name again? Ghost. Ghost. It's officially ghost BC. Okay. Uh, but it's like, if you just ghost, you'll find them. Okay. That sounds intriguing. So I might have to check that out. Um, you've maybe heard some of their stuff. Their breakthrough was, their breakthrough actually album came out when we were working together at Waterloo. And I was surprised to hear, cause they had an album in 2011 and 2013 mm-hmm. and it had a different sound than what they released around that time. And a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised. It was like, we were in the gym and the radio was on. I'm like, this is ghost. I'm like mm-hmm. they've, they've made it. They're they're the big time now. They're on they're on satellite radio, and mm-hmm. then they've become more popular since. And their last album was really pop metal, mm-hmm. and so you may have heard a couple of songs by them before, mm-hmm. maybe by accident, subconsciously, yeah. well, yeah, being I've, in the pack. I've never searched it up on YouTube. I'll tell you that. Um, yeah, I stayed kind of in the same like punky realm. Still um, there. Yeah, like I've been exploring it, I guess, because I, nice. so I, because I mentioned last time, seven forty one, really good, oh, great, um, so good. So then, then I was trying to expand from there. Um, I checked out Good Charlotte, didn't like that very much, um, and then I, there's a few I, bangers from Good Charlotte though. Well, yeah, I didn't like. like I listened have to, to sing along with it. Come on, you, I, I believe you. I didn't like the first couple of songs on the Spotify playlist I didn't like, and I didn't like how the singer's voice sounded. So I was like, nah, I don't need to spend my time here. Yes. Um, and then uh, simple plan was where I went next. And I like simple plan a lot. 
I've, I've heard a couple of their songs oh, before. I forgot about like, Simple Plan. They're, they have some bangers too, for sure. Some like radio songs that are, that are some bangers. That's about all I can think of from Simple Plan was whatever yeah. they got on the radio. Yeah. So it was, it was Simple Plan uh, for me, which I do definitely like. They've got some, they've got some hits. Um, but then honestly, for my, my workout yesterday, like I went back to some 41 cause it's just so good. So you're just living in the pop punk world right now, right now. Yeah. All the pop like punk I, music you can get your yeah, hands on. I, I did start with simple plan and it was like, it was nice, but I just, I needed to go back for a little bit more of the some 41. So nothing wrong with some 41. Yeah. They're a great yeah. band. So yeah. Happy with it for sure. Look at that so, pop punk train. Brains mm-hmm. all aboard. Pop punk, pop metal. Yeah. Oh, true. Yeah. Although I think so, one pop punk is a very well known genre. And there's a lot of examples. I can't think of many other side, but maybe I'll explore it and then I can report back with more. Yeah, we'll see. We'll share see. more pop metal with the world. Yeah. Um Yeah. So that was good. That was fun. I like that one a lot. Um, if anyone else wants us to talk about different stuff, let us know on Instagram, speed strength show, speed strength performance or Braden Southern. Um, if you want to talk to Tommy about why you think testing is amazing, then, you know, I'm sure he'd welcome that conversation. <laughs> um, Maybe. it's a healthy yeah. debate. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was the speed strength show. Thanks for coming along world. And we will see you next week. Peace.